Welcome to Breaker Culture Weekly. The guys from BreakerCulture.com help pull back the curtains and give you insight into the hobby. Sit back and enjoy interviews, product breakdowns, and hobby analysis so you can get your edge in the marketplace. And now, to the show. What's going on, folks? It's episode 40 of Breaker Culture Weekly. Thank you so much for joining. Can you believe it? We made it to 40. Uh, this is one of our goals heading into the year, was to get to this magical number 40. That uh, has no significance whatsoever outside of it. Just sounds cool. Um, but uh, yeah, we're here. And today we have a great episode, a great conversation with one of my new favorite guys in the hobby, Chris Torres from CRT Sports Cards. Uh, if you uh, haven't seen him, uh, you will probably see him uh, after this because you're going to check out this article we talk about and you're going to find him on social. His uh, social handle is CRT underscore sports cards. And he provides tons of great insight about products. One of the things I love talking about with Chris is is uh, really the way he approaches products. And we you know, we have kind of some banter going back and forth with certain releases, uh, at least we have for the past few months. And, I, and I've learned a lot from him and I think you're going to learn a lot from him. Uh, he is a... An analytical guru by nature, uh, and you'll you'll sense this from the conversation we have. And uh, he looks at things through this lens of, okay, what is my potential ROI versus what of my what is my risk, and what is the work I need to put into it, and all kinds of other factors that I think. If you're a ripper or if you are even slightly interested in uh, in digging into trying to make money on products, then this is a conversation you absolutely need to listen to. Um, and then when you're done, go to rickaculture.com. You'll see on the front page right now the top six products of 2018 from Chris. And he breaks it down into three ca- into two categories and three in each category. The top three, the most profitable products of 2018, and the three that have the most potential in 2019 and he gives price ranges for where he thinks the 2019 products would potentially be profitable so uh really good insight uh, a lot of good commentary kind of built into that that article so enjoy that we do talk through it a bit here at the end as well but um super super fun conversation now i do want to mention something about a product that came out this week it's 2018-19 contenders basketball and uh yeah, I mean, you guys know I am, I'm a sucker for basketball cards. It's really a weakness. Um, <laughs> even though I know some of these these uh, these products aren't profitable, don't provide much upside. I just love basketball cards. But 2018-19 contenders basketball from a retail side, it is really really rough. And here's why. This year, they pulled out season ticket non-autos for rookies. So there's none of those available. They will show up in the checklist, which uh, is interesting. You'll see a season ticket for all the rookies. That's the number 101 to, I believe, 149, maybe 147. Um, those are on there, but uh, they're not they're not appearing anywhere. They're not any of the retail uh, products that we've opened, that we've seen. Um, they're not popping up anywhere in hobby. So either they're extremely short printed, which would make no sense at all, being that it's just a season ticket non-auto, uh, or they just don't exist, which is probably the more likely solution here. So that's frustration number one. Frustration number two, and the one that really just irks me to no end, is that it looks like they've taken out rookie ticket autos from retail completely. The only thing that you can get that's autographed by a rookie in retail basketball is the swatches. And 
uh, it's not easy to get an autographed swatch out of, out of retail. Let me just say that. Uh, you can get other non-auto swatches, and those are cool, I guess. There's the prime versions of them, number to 10. There's the number to one, one of one versions that come out of retail. But uh, but yeah, it just, uh, it's really frustrating because you, you just there's a totally separate world now brewing up on the retail side. And they're really excluding a lot of things that sometimes, typically, would fall on the retail side and the hobby side. So uh, really frustrating there. The last thing I'll say, and they did this last year, but I thought maybe they would remedy it this year and they, they did not. And that is don't have the same inserts as hobby version and retail version. I personally can't stand seeing five different insert sets that have a hobby parallel version of it and then a retail parallel version. I love what they do with Prism and that they have exclusive insert sets for retail and exclusive insert sets for, for hobby. Don't have the same ones with a little bit of a sparkle edge on hobby and a foil base on retail. To me, that just doesn't add any value anywhere. In fact, I think it, it really waters down the value on the hobby side. I mean, absolutely waters down the value on the retail side. So um, there's some quick observations on 2018-19 contenders basketball. The cards themselves look great. I, I uh, really, really like the gold optic uh, autos, uh, the premium autos. I really, really like the cracked ice autos as anybody should. Uh, but uh, other than that, there, there's definitely some frustrations for you to consider before you go out there and start swinging into targets and Walmarts and snagging up the 18-19 contenders basketball. So with that being said, enjoy the conversation with Chris. We have one more show in 2018 that will release on Sunday with a hobby veteran, somebody you're going to know. And I think you're going to love the conversation. We'll talk more about that on Sunday. Chris, how you doing, man? Good. How about you? I'm doing well. How was your Christmas? It was. It went well. It was a nice one day off of work, but overall, <laughs> it was a very nice, relaxing day. The weather was nice up here in Seattle, so not a lot of rain, but nice. a little cool. Yep. How about yours? Uh, it was good. It was good. Yeah, we uh, we have enough kids now to where like it's it's nearly impossible to have like calmness and peacefulness. Yeah. It's just like pandemonium. And this year was no <laughs> exception. So um, yeah. hard to complain. I, I wish we had a white Christmas. Do you, do you get white, white Christmases in Seattle very often? Or is it kind of once we in the moon? Did, we did last year for okay. the first time. And, and, but it was like a very light dusting. I have a couple of pictures of, of the snow, but I think that was my first ever white Christmas because I'm from Texas. Ah. I live and then I moved to Seattle, so I've sort of been everywhere. That, everywhere it doesn't snow, in a sense. So last year was was nice, but this year just a cool day. Nice, nice. Yeah, same here. Fifty, actually fifty five degrees in Kansas City. So it was almost. It didn't even yeah. feel normal. It just felt kind of awkward. Yeah, yeah. But but anyway, Christmas is behind us. We're looking at two thousand nineteen now. Yep. <laughs> exactly right. five days away. That's right. That's right. Well, I, I, uh, I've been excited about talking with you for a few weeks now because uh, you've been putting out some sweet content on the site, and we appreciate that. And hope I know a lot of folks have been been loving it. Uh, for those that don't know, Chris uh, runs the Twitter feed, Twitter handle CRT Sports Cards, CRT underscore Sports Cards. If you're trying to find them, but uh, yeah, man, you have a you have an awesome way of approaching products, and so I'm looking forward to digging into it. But may, maybe to kick us off. Just give us a little bit of background of kind of how you got into the hobby, what kind of what your story is, and we'll go from there. 
I think it starts back, I think for many people in their mid-30s now, it starts back as a kid in, in the junk wax era. That's the most overused statement these days. But, you know, I know my first set I ever bought was 91 tops for my first ever card show I went to. I remember that very clearly to this day. But then, you know, as time goes by, we get out, we get back in, we yeah. get in. And I think the, the last time I got back into the hobby was ult ultimately a result of probably the biggest bubble in baseball cards and that was about three years ago mm -hmm. i got back into the hobby and i went to the local card store picked up some supplies and picked up a a box of 2015 tops archives signature series you know mm -hmm. one hit in case auto and <clears throat> got home opened up and it was a one of one andres galarraga auto so to me it's like oh a hundred bucks no big deal you know it's cool one of one i remember him you know playing back in the 90s yep uh, find out i ended up selling it for two thousand dollars because that was right at the peak of the omar Vizquel andres galarraga bubble yeah when the super collectors were spending thousands of dollars for these one of ones mm -hmm. and then unfortunately they got wise and they stopped buying tops's you know manufactured one of one and scarcity hits and that sort of bubble popped but ever since then since 2015 i've I've been back in the hobby and I started opening cases of 2014 draft, figuring out, you know, how to sell player lots, when to sell autographs, who to hold, who to sell. And so it's been sort of a, a journey or process uh, over the past, probably say three years now. That is awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. I mean, I think every, every collector has been in the hobby more than five years and knows that bubble really well. <laughs> the, yeah. You say this kill and that's what immediately like the minds go to the, insane prices people paid but yeah. uh, you're obviously your mariners guy right yes Jason, you uh would you say you're a super collector of mariners or you just kind of when it comes it comes and you take it no i'm i'm very particular of what i collect with the mariners and okay. so it's old it's the independence day parallels i i'm born in july so naturally july 4th is a special time of the year for me baseball games as a kid so I just absolutely love those parallels. I got all of them from, from flagship this year, minus one. The Iwakuma still haunts me, but mm -hmm. I, I cannot find it. And then Ginter X. I am a sucker for the red and silver minis. And so I, I don't like a lot of Mariner cards, but I really love those two sets of cards. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, some of the the what are they called flip stock in heritage yep but i stopped after that because they're nearly impossible to find and half a lot of times they don't even show up because people just don't know what they are yeah. so i've kind of put that in the back burner but the independence day and the Ginterex are, are my two mariner card sort of collections in a sense oh, i love it i love it that's awesome yeah I, my actually my son was born on july 4th as well and so i think oh, nice. that is a uh that is a perfect parallel with the chase <laughs> Jeez. yeah it's um, great. It makes me so mad because I, I remember I the last Iwakuma that went off eBay was months ago and for like three dollars and sixty cents and uh, they missed it. And I cannot find it. Now we're going to Japan to see the Mariners play the athletics in March for uh -huh. the opening series. And so I'm I'm I maybe there's a card shop somewhere in Tokyo that maybe has I don't know. I have these grand dreams that I'm gonna find it in Tokyo, <laughs> but I cannot find this Iwakuma from flagship from series one. Because if I have that, then the entire team set's done. Oh, that's beautiful. Well yeah. done. That's funny. That's, uh, I love hearing you talk about that stuff because I think that's what makes collecting 
unique and fun. People tend to forget about the chase on that side of it. You know, what becomes personal yeah. becomes a, a personal yeah. mission. Um, interesting. So your, your girlfriend or fiance, is, is she involved? Is I'm sorry. I, I'm just assuming it's a girlfriend or fiance. Is that? Uh, yeah, she's my girlfriend. She is involved in this, I would say pretty heavily now. Nice. Back a couple years ago, you know, she would help me out and she didn't know what was going on. Like, what is this? What is that? Yep. You know, I think one of the the best stories is we were opening 2016 Bowman. Mm -hmm. So she doesn't know any of these players. <laughs> and so, but she knows Shiny at the time. This was a couple years ago. She's obviously progressed very quickly since then. But she's like, orange. I'm like, okay, is it autographed? Yeah. And I'm like, what team? She's like, the Reds. I said, put it down. And so it was the Nick Senzel orange yeah. refractor autograph I sold for like, I think like $1,000 or whatever. <laughs> and so that was the time where she's like, whoa, you can really sell these for that much money? I'm like, yeah, if you have the right cards. They go for, for quite a bit of money. And that so. <laughs> I was going to say that that's why you have to set it down immediately. And let me put a top, <laughs> top sleeve on it. <laughs> Just down. I'll say, well, I'll take it from here. But then. She got really involved with snapshots when it first came out. And that, of course, had some older players, which she knew. So the, the running joke was, she's like, I found an auto. I said, well, do you know who it is? Because if she knows who it is, that's a good thing. Because she knows, you know, all of the, the top rookies. She knows the veteran players. So that's always a good sign. That's awesome. But, but now she's she's well involved. And, and she loves opening products. She, she's always asking to help out. And what can I ship out? But with one computer, you know, it's difficult to do you know multiple things at one time with only one computer but yeah, yeah. she she it. it's something we do together and i think it's just a lot of fun at the end of the day that's that's fun that's really cool yeah uh so, i mean i guess the big question is does she sort is she a sorter? Yeah. oh yeah there you go that's fine well yeah she does but i feel bad because then i'm always like well you could have done it this way and, and you could have saved time and then she's like don't tell me what to do and so now i'm like it's okay so she, she always she always asks to help but i, I feel bad having her sort you know, update series, you know, I've sorted what a hundred sets now. And so I kind of feel bad when she's like, you want me to sort? I'm like, not really. Cause I don't want you sorting 10 sets of updates. It's not exactly the most fun thing to do. Um, you just got to find a way to make it romantic. Yeah. <laughs> we, we can talk about that offline. <laughs> yeah. no, I, uh, it's funny. We, uh, my wife and I will, will find, uh, the, most of the time, my wife is pretty much a, a hands off. I don't want to sort. She's a she's really really good at it. In fact, I love when she wants to sort because she's incredibly fast. Um, but uh, recently, we've got hooked on this TV series called Blue Bloods. It's a I don't know a cop show from like CBS. It's like in season nine. It's got Tom Selleck in it. Yeah, it's one of those shows where you don't necessarily have to like be fully engaged in it. You can kind of watch it, look down a little bit. And so oh. we've found ourselves like actually enjoying sorting cards while watching Blue Bloods. It's kind of a bonding thing for us. It's kind of weird. Uh, it's enjoyment for us. So yeah, my girlfriend she'll sit in my office and or, and then she'll like one Monday after we'd opened like I think forty boxes of Pops Update. She she watched her TV shows and she sorted all of the sets and she had them in like six different stacks. Like here, these are complete. This is a little bit less complete and so on and so forth. So it was really nice. amazing. That's awesome. That is cool. Um, cool. So, I mean, at what point you've been, you've been doing this for hardcore, it sounds like for about three years, but at what point did you realize, you know what, I, I need to approach this strategically and 
Um, it's, it seems like you're kind of analytical, maybe by nature, but at what point did you really say, you know what, I'm going to approach this the right way? When did it click? I would say probably a year and a half ago, okay. maybe two years ago. I think, you know, I've, I've always, I really like numbers and I've always tried to figure out what do the numbers mean. Mm -hmm. And so the odds on the back of the pack, on the back of the pack of the cards is always something that's intrigued me. What does this mean? And so you can see all these times that all these chase cards are out there. This is out there, but how hard is it to really hit? And mm -hmm. so you, when you look at the numbers, you can sort of reverse engineer the product and then figure out, is there money there at this price point? Yeah. And then work forwards backwards from there. But that's one thing that, I sort of now I'm not a football collector anymore. It was many years ago. Mm -hmm. I put a message out on Twitter. I said, "Hey, can someone send me the back of the odds of the of Panini Obsidian football?" Mm -hmm. And I was blown away that Panini did not or does not include odds on their football products. That just didn't make sense to me as a tops collector that the odds in Panini are not on their product. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day. I'm probably a little off with this. I'll probably have to cut this out, but it's it's all about the reverse engineering of the numbers. How 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 hard is it to hit a chase card? Maybe how easy it is to hit a chase card, like Ginter X, which is a low print run versus a high print run in mm -hmm. product. Mm -hmm. Totally, yeah. I I would say to Panini's credit, at least when they put out a checklist, they give print runs on cards. That does help, uh, but it is incredibly frustrating. I completely agree. Completely yeah, agree. I would. It was just weird. I was like, because I guess I'm just so conditioned in the tops world to yep. have. So I'm like, wait, they don't put. I know they say a guarantee four autos or two autos or whatever it is, but I'm like, wait, where are the odds? How, where are these shield cards at? Are they one every thirty cases or <laughs> one every ten or one every hundred? What are they? So. Yeah. Awesome. So you started you started breaking down the numbers, um, approaching it kind of statistically, analytically. Um, wh what products were you initially drawn to? um and kind of in that regard so high base card sets okay low variant sets stuff like flagship you know stuff like ginter mm -hmm. where there's a lot of base cards to where you're gonna get more for your dollar or if i'm paying 11 12 cents per card over a case you know versus six seven dollars for inception per card there's i can reduce the variance when it comes to when i open the entire case or multiple cases of what my potential return could be. Right. Okay. Makes total sense to me, at least. What is your background? Yeah, I mean, my background. <laughs> <laughs> but why, why, why are you thinking of it in this terms? I mean, what? I'm curious. I don't, in, in college, I, I mean, I was an accountant major for like a year and a half, and I didn't end up, end up doing that. I just always understood numbers. I played, I played golf in co or through college. And I was always the, the guy breaking down all my stats, how many fairways I hit, how many greens I hit. It just, it always made sense. I think even, even as like a little kid, like 10, 11, 12, I was grabbing the paper in the morning and updating the MLB standings and the stat sheets on my yellow notebook, on my yellow notepad in a sense. So yes. it just always made sense to me. I don't know why that is, but it, numbers have always made the most sense to me is figuring out what they mean and how to, not mean not manipulate them, but how can they turn? How can you turn them into your advantage versus letting them, you know, versus the other way around in a sense? Heck yeah, heck yeah, man, that's awesome. So the sabermetrics era is you you love it. That's a I it's like I do, era. but it, it is, but it's at times it's way over my head. Yeah. I'm like, whoa, 
like these, this is crazy. You know, <laughs> I, I played a lot of OOTPs or outside the, outside the park baseball for many years on my computer and uh-huh. all that, the number perspective of it was great. But I think some of it now is a little over my head, but yeah. I enjoy listening to it. I listen to all the fan graphs, you know, podcasts and stuff right. like that. Numbers awesome. to me make, but sometimes even over my head. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I feel like there's a new metric every week in baseball. It's just frustrating. But yeah, it's like, what does this mean now? I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, are you are you a big baseball? I mean, obviously you're a baseball guy, but do you watch a ton of baseball? Or are you the box yes. score guy? Yeah, we're we're Mariner season ticket holders, awesome. so we go to about thirty. We're we're partial, so we have we go to twenty go to twenty games a year at least. Last year we did thirty. So we're right at about 20 to 30 games. We'll watch it almost every night. I'll watch basically every Mariners game on TV, whether here or obviously on the road. So, yeah, I'm a huge – I think I'm more of a Mariners fan. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I'm I'm a Mariners fan secondarily. I'm a fan of the sport, number one. I grew up a Braves fan, and then I became a Mariners fan living here. But I just enjoy the sport. I love going to the ballpark. I love just sitting there watching batting practice watching the game, keeping score. It's not so much about the result. It's really about the process. And to me, the process is everything that happens between the pitch. And I think that's the true, the true love for me of baseball. Love it. Absolutely love it. Um, yeah. I mean, just this hearing that and I'm, I coach baseball too. So it's just yeah. I, like trying to teach kids the importance of understanding that with baseball is so, yeah. so valuable. So, so, valuable. Yeah. but uh, that's cool. Very cool. Yeah, we're uh, we're kind of same thing. Partial season ticket holders here in Kansas City yep. for the Royals. So gotcha. Some seasons that's yeah, great. I... <laughs> <laughs> some seasons it's not. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a difficult, I think, couple years for us up here with the reimagining or whatever Depoto calls it. But I'm excited <laughs> to get back to uh, baseball season again in a few months. Heck yeah, heck yeah. Do you do you have a favorite prospect right now for the Mariners? That you're super excited about. Well, they trade them all away. So <laughs> it's true. I've I, so I'm really deep right now into Nick Nider, who okay. now pitches for the the Marlins organization. I think he's the third or fourth best prospect right now, and so I'm very deep into him. I have like 20, 30 graded, you know, autos. I've got multiple rainbows of his. You know, I was very excited about him, and I still am. But then he's in Miami now. Yeah. The other guy that they that they traded away, his name is Chris Torres, in the same trade for D Gordon. So I was really mad about the fact that Chris Torres was traded from Seattle to Miami, but you know, oh, the, it is what it is. How many jerseys do you have of him? I have three graded cards of his. I mean, three autograph cards of his. <laughs> nice. I had to pick a couple of just out of just because, but oh, totally. I, But Mariner prospects right now. I mean, I'm not going to pick up. Clinic. I mean, those are New York prices for a Seattle prospect, and Seattle collectors are not New York collectors. So yeah. I am refusing to pick up any Clinic autos until they drop down to Seattle prices or their second or third year autos, to where they're fun to have. But I'm not. I'm totally. not picking his. So they drop. Yeah, he, he's incredibly hot. He he reminds me a lot of the hype, at least, um, at, like Alex Jackson. You know, three years ago, yeah. four years ago, in draft oh. came out. Alex Jackson. Oh boy. I and, wish he would have. Panned out, but, yeah. I know. I know. Me too. And <laughs> I actually invested a lot in Alex Jackson. So I really wish he would have panned out. But yeah, uh, I've got, I have boxes of, of 2015, 2014, 2016 draft of Mariners. Then 
other than Kyle Lewis, I'm pretty sure they're all gone. So I'm, <laughs> I'm just sticking with Niters, and that's about it for right now. Nice, nice, very cool. Well, so let's let's. I want to dig more into your ROI kind of approach. Um, but let, let me ask a general question, just for collectors. I know a lot of folks are interested in this stuff. But what would you say the the biggest mistake collectors generally make when they're kind of judging products or approaching products? Anything come to mind? The biggest mistake in my mind is trying to justify the high prices for cases these days. Hmm. So if a product is 300 bucks over last year, and then they justify it by saying, oh, well, Soto, Acuna, Torres is in it, great, I'll pick it up. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, but there's three cards of, 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 of a thousand in a sense. Right. So I think justifying high pricing is to me a mistake because as i've mentioned i think in one of my articles we're trying to make money by not having to hit a monster and if you're spending 20 30 40 percent more than ly for the same product yep you are you're just gonna lose and there's no way to continue on if you're trying to hit the monster versus just taking your very routine approach with every product hmm yeah, that's good. That's good insight for sure. Um, do you feel like most collectors uh, look at a product and they don't think about maybe the potential return because they're not willing to put the work into it? What do you mean exactly? Well, I mean, I think, I think for for instance, your articles, right? You you, you play out the situation. You let people see, okay, here here's the odds of getting things. Here's the potential ROI. Here's the upside, the downside. But in all of that what folks don't realize is how and some do realize this but there's a lot of work that goes into that like in order to make that work you have to be willing to sit down you know by yourself or, or with your spouse or your girlfriend and sort for hours <laughs> to get the return that you want do you think products sometimes get a bad rap because you know what i mean people just aren't willing to put the work into it in reality the product's really good right i mean yeah I think, I mean, with a very broad stroke, yes, because, I mean, everybody wants the quick flip. Everyone wants to open up, you know, 20 boxes, one pack of cards of, sure. of a product and then sell those and go on to the next product. You know, so I think, yeah, it's a, you know, I mean, anything in life is going to be difficult. It's not easy. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, I mean, that's so cliche to say. Right? Yeah. You know, it's, yeah, I think, but I, I, don't, I don't think it's a negative thing. I think there are a lot of people out there that this is strictly you know, hobby income sure. and they spend a thousand dollars and, and, and they can spend a thousand dollars and make 500 back. The enjoyment of the product was worth $500, mm-hmm. you know, for them, just the cost of admission to me, it might be a loss of 500, but for them, it's just the price of admission. So we look at that $500 two different ways. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. And I guess I asked that because I, I want to preface all of this conversation with, you know, any of the the ROI results that, you know, we're going to talk about for some products in 2018 and kind of the approach that you take and even I take, uh, it, it just requires a lot of work and there's no easy path to getting to any of this. Um, sometimes it's easier than others and obviously big names and nice rookies help, but the, re- the reality is most of these products just take work and it's worth it sometimes. Right. Um, and hundred plus base sets of update is not something you do in the course of an evening over a TV show. Right. You know, it's taken me a month to sort these and I still have nine sets left and I'm very excited to be done 
by the end of the month because I'll have a full month off before series one. So yep. I'm looking forward to it. But yeah, it, it's it's definitely work, especially in these products that I favor, which is you know high you know high base count, more hits versus the one hit products. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So do, do you when you approach a product, do you have a target ROI percentage in mind? I have more recently as I've taken it more serious this year in mm -hmm. a sense, but I don't have I don't have the history. I have all of my my breaks tracked from you know 2014 and on, yeah. but I've taken more of a, a hard look at products this year, as in you know update or or Ginter X or Ginter whatever that could be. Mm -hmm. But you know, probably not as as much as somebody who does this full time. You know, this is this is my hobby in a sense. It's how hobby income and it comes and goes and things like that. But you know, this was full time job of mine. Yeah, I would take a harder look at it. But sure. right now it it's enough to keep this hobby of ours going. And, you know, I'm not, if I don't make money on a break, I'm not, not paying rent or not paying my car payment, you know, right. this is, <laughs> right. you know, you know, hobby. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, and so, you know, we're this article that you put out and I can't wait to put this out in the morning. Um, you know, you kind of break down top five, top six products of the year and you break it down with, you know, three of the best products and then three potential good products kind of going forward. And you you break down after fees ROI percentages your performance. Um, now I, I'm assuming, and some people look at ROI differently. Like some people say, hey, you know, you, you, the ROI is return of your actual investment versus maybe I think you're you're looking at it. Hey, this is a 24% return. Like this is a positive return on my investment. Mm -hmm. um, are uh, like a, like for instance, your Series Two, 25%. Um, is, is that a good return in your like in, in kind of the way you approach things? Is that Thumbs up. I give top series two. That's a, a win in my book. Or did, did that not exceed your expectations for a typical flagship product? No, I think that was good. I mean, I only, I only opened three cases. So although up, although flagship series or any flagship series is lower variance, obviously more packs, more cards. Right. You turn a 25% after fees, after – I mean, when I'm talking about ROI, that's clear money. That's everything is paid for. Yep. All the fees are out. In just three cases, yeah, I mean, I, that to me, that's a heck of a win in a product where I'm only opening three cases. Heck yeah. Um, have you ever run the numbers and, and, and try to figure out what, what would be kind of the tipping point? You know, if I added like an update, right, you're at 12 cases. If I added five more cases of Series 2, would my profit go up, my profit go down? Are you that deep into the analytics? Yeah, so I did it on Heritage Miners. Gotcha. So... I picked up five cases. Now this this product, just FYI, is confounds me because <laughs> you can pick up pro debut at seven hundred dollars in June, which to me is a far what's the proper term here? It's it doesn't pay it pales in comparison to the product of heritage miners. Totally. Yep. hundred dollars in pro debut you can make money on. Pro, heritage miners at seven hundred is an absolute bloodbath. Mm -hmm. Now I picked up five cases at what I knew was a higher than higher than expected price. But I'm like, look, it's Heritage, you know, it it's it's it has the name behind it. I've I've opened it before. I can turn, I can still turn the money. I'm not worried about it. Yeah. Well, it, my break was great. You know, I'm still selling quite a bit of it still, but you know, I didn't I didn't see the the return as fast as I wanted to. So what I did was I picked up two more cases. At a at a drastically reduced price on DealerNet, 
which was more in line with what I expected. So I can make money on those two, which will then even out all seven cases in general. I love it. It's like, uh, it's like when your Facebook stock drops and you need to average down a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's just how you have to play it because that product, it blows my mind with miners because it's heritage. You know, it's on card autos. It's not pro debut. It's not sticker autos. But to me, it's the timing of the year. People are buying that for on, you know, in-person autographs for the for the ballparks. And by the time October comes around, baseball season's over for the miners. People have gone on with the year. But it's a far superior product. But it doesn't sell as well. That's a five hundred dollar product, where pro debut is seven hundred, and you're fine making. You can turn a profit at seven hundred, yep. which to me doesn't make any sense. But that's just the way the market is. Yeah. Timing, timing, timing. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So let's, um, so, I mean, do you, do you buy pre-sell? Is that I do. Oh, I, okay. I, I go through blowout. Typically speaking, I've been working a little closer with one of my local card shops here in the Seattle area, just due to the changes of the, the tax laws coming uh-huh. for, re- for retailers in next year. So I'm trying to work more locally because he can give me a better deal, but we'll see. But typically speaking, you know, I'm, I'm going through blowout and I'm reserving six months i'm usually reserving it you know when it first gets released right. or at least announced, announced in a sense gotcha gotcha that's yeah i mean i know you talk about dealer net too so i'm assuming like you said your are situations where you're averaging down or you're you realize it's a good product after release and you're going and snagging stuff when you can get it yes i'm i'm buying on there and I've, i'm buying i bought a couple of cases from a dealer that i used to deal with back 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 in chattanooga tennessee where i used to live at so yeah it's a great resource to pick up cases you know, I, I call it sideways in a sense, but it's a little better than, than retail pricing in a sense. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with that. Um, so your go-to retailer, blowout, it sounds like, in most cases, any other online retailers you, you kind of enjoy? I've only ever bought one other case from another, from another retailer online, and it was like a week late. And so I'm like, I'm just thinking of blowout. It's just... <laughs> nice. <laughs> I don't know why it was late, but it was late. So I was like, well, this is what I get for not going with blowout. So, you know, they, not that I'm trying to, to advertise for them, but they've always been great with emails with me and pre-sale pricing and pre-sale deposits and, yeah. you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Blowout's good. They run a, they yeah. run a great ship. They, they, they run a tight ship, but they run a, a great, I guess, business in general. Chris is awesome. So yeah, um, I spent years on the forums and so I kind of feel you know, that they've provided a great avenue for us to communicate with, you know, other people in the hobby. So, yep. you know, chopping with them to me is very easy. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Um, are, are you the type of guy that pre-sells sets or do you wait till you sort them before you sell? I've never pre-sold sets. I think this was the first year that I really went heavy on, on any flagship product. Mm-hmm. This year for me was more about experimenting as I, as I've seen this sort of grow and this, this, this sort of business of mine grow. I've tried different things this year. Like with series one, I did player locks. I will never do that again. You know, I will do, I'm doing sets, you know, with series two, I did sets with update, you know, it's just, you know, I, I did a lot of experimenting this year, but I don't typically pre-sell sets. I, you know, kind of with the eBay requirements of shipping within one day to remaining, to, be, to remain a top rate seller, yep. you know, I'm not, I'm not really looking to have that affected. And so I've never been a pre-seller of sets. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's funny. So you'll never do player lots again. Why is that? Cause I still have a 
3,000 count box of Series 1 that I cannot move. Because <laughs> you have incomplete sets now because you sold player lots? Yeah, I sold player lots. Now, I, I will say, though, I, I did make more money on that process in Heritage High because the rookies were so far in demand yeah. than those were. So I have three 3,000 count boxes of Heritage High, which I still sell occasionally. I have them up on eBay for... I think it's buy one, get six or seven free, and they sell occasionally here and there. But, but I made more money on doing Soto, Acuna, you know, all those guys individually yeah. than I could base sets. But on a series, on a flagship series, I will never do that again. But yeah. that's part of my process: learning totally. where I can do it with uh, Ginter X, for example. I will do singles. I'll sell a master set, but the rest of it is all just singles. Yeah. But on a flagship. I'm only doing sets from here on out. Yeah, no, that's, that's good. I, I think I learned that lesson too with baseball. NBA and basketball is just, that's that's the one exception where I think player lots probably make more sense in every scenario. Mm -hmm. uh, there's just not a lot of set collectors in basketball, but yeah, that's a uh, player lots I mean, in baseball I'm, killed me. Yeah, when I'm getting $10 uh, for a base Soto rookie card, yeah. the Heritage Pie. I mean, I can't sell a set for 30. Yeah. I mean, you're, that's just losing money there. So I might as well break it up and deal with the seven or 8,000 cards left over and leave them on eBay and let them just roll over roll over every month as pick your lots and, you know, I'll write them off eventually. But, you know, for now, you know, they're just an inventory. So we'll go with it. Yeah, exactly. All right. So are, are so you the type of guy that sets aside certain cards and grades them? I, you mentioned grading a little bit ago. Do, do you do you submit stuff for grading? Or are you just kind of learning that process as well right now? I graded uh, it's been two years since i graded cards and the last two i graded were the soto x-fractor auto from top scrum update and the akuna x-fractor rookie card those nice. are the first two cards i graded in two plus years nice nice hard, but because i don't want to be the seller or people think well what he's selling is picked through because he's got 400 graded cards but this card's not graded why isn't this card graded so sure. So I try to keep it pretty much singular focus, whether it's I'm selling it now or I'm selling it later. It's kind of like my thought process with the silver packs that I sell with with any flagship product. If 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 I if I'm selling singles of the silver packs, like single cards, it appears that I am possibly opening only up to a certain amount of cards and sure. selling the rest. I want to keep it as legit as possible and say, look, I'm selling all these packs. Or I'm selling all these Chrome cards. Yep. You know, graded. Yeah. No, it's funny. I think some people will kind of laugh at that and think, surely that doesn't matter. But like, it, people would be surprised how transparent this hobby is these days. Like that, that stuff really matters. Like, like going above and beyond, like making sure you do things like that, and it really is yeah. important. Really. Yeah. Is. And I mean, everything you can go viral for the wrong reason in a matter of like thirty seconds these days. Yeah. Right. And especially in in the sports card world where it's it is a smaller community but it's very close-knit and you do one wrong thing you're done and so nothing to me is worth a few extra dollars to have this not sell or this sell extra it's not worth it to me so. yeah yeah yep. completely agree completely agree cool let's take a quick break and let's let's come back and let's talk about uh your your report man i'm excited to dig into it okay. All right, cool. We're back. So let's dig into this report. And so again, the report that you put out, it's the kind of the 2018 year in review. Um, and really it's six baseball products. And it's the three that 
you, you believe are the best products that you're, I don't know if that's fair to say, it's the best products that, that you end up ripping for the year, and then three products that you think have the most potential. Um, what was the, what was kind of the overall count of products you measured against, I guess, first question? So I opened, actually it's 15 products, yeah, because I have two not listed on my file yet. So yeah, there's 15 products. Sweet. So you're six out of 15. And, and again, baseball, I mean, it's not like uh, a panini where they put out like 50 products of each. You know, baseball, there's like 25 products. So this is a majority of the products. Um, yeah. So let's dig into the best products first. And did you rank these in order? Or did you just throw the three up there? Yeah, I mean, if you look at the numbers, they go yeah. in order. Interx to me is always my favorite product overall regardless of return on investment it's just a great product overall yeah. so yeah it's my product okay um like for those that don't know right Ginterex is one of those exclusive products so it's not it's not easy to get um this is your second or third year doing this with Ginterex. second year doing second it. year doing it okay so for for those that are interested in getting a Ginterex next year i mean what's what's kind of your advice firsthand um Buy by the case. Um, so ideally, because the problem is Tops has changed. So Tops will, well, let's do this way. It's Tops.com only. It usually comes out a few weeks after Ginter, maybe a month after regular Ginter releases. Typically in years past, they haven't they haven't allocated orders. You could order 100 if you wanted to, 100 boxes in a sense. They come in, you can only buy them in boxes, but typically speaking, 12 boxes is the case. And so I, it's always, I just picked up 24 boxes and it comes in two basically sealed cases when it, when it arrives in my house. I wish Panini did that. They don't do that with their first off the line stuff, but um, that's good to know with Ginterex. Um, for the, you, people are going to see this report, but your ROI performance after fees was 75%, which is incredible. Absolutely incredible. Um, you just won't find that really in any product. So that, that's, that's unbelievable. Um, you sold 1500 cards basically out of the 3,500 that you have. Um, mm-hmm. would you say this, this product is a little more work or less work than the normal product that you open? I think it's the same amount of work. Okay. I think the challenge with this product is, and I call this out in the article is there are all, all the hits are low numbered from the red, the red mini, the silver mm-hmm. minis, the autographs. And so what you end up having is this short print run product all hit the market at one time. So typically speaking, if you hit a really low numbered parallel of a, of a good player or, or a veteran, whatever, you're going to get a nice return. But in this product, it's really a buyer's market because mm-hmm. the buyer can just wait because the other ones are going to hit. I mean, there's a reason why I own 35% of the Mariners you know, red auto, red minis and hmm. 50 of the one of ones because they hit the market all at the same time. And, and, and the buyers have control because no one's, no one's bidding themselves up because they know there's more, there's more coming. Right. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. You just, you can't find that in the product. No, you can't because I mean, this is a very low print run. It's only available on tops.com for maybe a day or so. I think last year or this year it sold out within I think four to five hours <laughs> and they didn't even really put the configuration out there. I mean, I bought two cases of this without even knowing what was in the product. I just, tops was very, you know, they, they didn't, they didn't put out what was available. They didn't say one auto. They didn't say whatever it was. They just said, here's the configuration. Yep. And so they updated and said, yeah, one auto. 
And then when it released and the number, the autos were numbered, that was massive. I mean, to see all of those silver autos numbered to 25 or less was just a huge return or huge, huge pickup for us who were, who were opening it up. Heck yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, for 70 bucks a box, that's basically buying without the markup. It's in, that's insane. That's absolutely yeah. insane. And look, I got very lucky. I mean, I hit one of the trout five autos, you know, so that was, you know, $700 sale. So that was, you know, very nice, but I'm still, I'm still in the positive even without that sale. So, and I still have 2000 cards and I probably sell, if not every day, every other day, 10, 12, 14 base cards of the, of the minis of the base pair of the base cards, because they're limited. These, these black minis numbered, but there's such a small release that there's only like a hundred or so available. And so they're 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 just great to have on the side for any player collector, team collector. Interex is is really the product to be able to sell them too. Heck yeah! Did you uh, did the cryptocurrency stuff affect you at all, or did you already sold most of your cryptocurrency stuff? I had sold most of it. I got very lucky, and I had about nine of the Ginterx base cards still left when it blew up. Nice, and I. For twenty five a piece, I think it was your twenty or twenty five. I have to look back and see what it was, but that was that was nice. I had one regular parallel or base mini from Ginter available, so I think I ended up making like two hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. And I know every day I was like, "These are going to get returned. These are going to get returned. This bubble is going to bust in like three <laughs> minutes, and I'm going to have these, you know, really crappy base cards left over." But you know, you know, in in my in my Ginter X master set, I actually included cryptocurrency in the subject title. I mean, in the in the header, because of how popular it was. But they were they were never returned, and I got my money, and the the collector was happy, and you know, it, it is awesome. what it is. Heck yeah, that's kind of great timing of it. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. I got I kind of got lucky too with the same situation, so it's hard to complain. But uh, yeah, I thought for sure this would be returned. We'll, t- yes. we'll, we'll take it. We'll take it and move on. Wash your hands and move on. Um, cool. So that, that's number one, and, and folks can, can dig into the details and, and see a couple pictures too. But uh, number two was Series 2 for you. Uh, obviously a flagship product, and most people know how Series 2 works. But uh, you nailed 25% ROI. You opened three hobby cases. Uh, a couple things that stood out to me, <laughs> the code cards. Talk to yep. us about the code cards and what people generally do with them and what they should should be doing with the code cards because I think this is a something that most people forget about. So the code cards are for MLB The Show, and they are for, to my knowledge, they're for packs for your player in the game. I have not played the game, so I don't know exactly what they're for, but I believe they're for like 10 packs. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people will get them and throw them away, thinking they're like the kid reporter cards in like a Panini product or just right. some advertising and but if you go on ebay at launch they're selling for five bucks a piece and i I think it's three per box or two per box i can't remember exactly how it is but i mean 15 10 15 bucks on three cards are are, it's incredible just nice little bonus there and then even a month later after release they're still at four dollars i mean most stuff's dropped quicker than that within the first month but there is great demand for these mlb the codes whether it be on eBay or Twitter or wherever you're selling them at, you know, blow off forums. There are people out there who want these codes because they think it's like $5 for, I believe it's like $10 of in-game currency. So we're making money on our end. And then the consumer buying, it's making money because they're saving money 
by not spending $10 in the game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, if you break down the numbers too, you're getting them three per hobby box. Mm-hmm. You're getting five, four to five bucks a card. I mean, that's that, that's essentially 20% of the cost of your case. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Just on code cards. Yeah, and a lot of people throw them away. Yeah. I remember talking to a couple guys at the local card shop when I was picking up some supplies there, and I was walking them through the breakdown of Series 2, and they're like, those are worth money? I'm like, yeah, they're worth a lot of money. Not a lot of money, but they're they're yeah. don't throw them away. He's like, man, I think I chucked them. I was like, go through your trash can and find them because they're worth money. So a lot of people just don't know that they're they're valuable. It's the little things like that that actually really drive ROI. Um, so yeah. uh, pay attention to that stuff. Uh, anything else stand out for you for Series 2 that um, we should talk about? No, I think, Pretty you know, Series 2 was great because of Akuna and Taurus being there on short, short prints. Those were, you know, a nice hundred bucks yeah. for every case, you know. But other than that, it was just a really run-of-the-mill, you know, flagship release where if you put the work in and you buy it at the right price you're going to make money three hobby cases for you how much time did you spend sorting that would you guess i can do three to four sets in an hour so you figure i've never i've never timed it out the entire release but a hobby case is usually like an hour to open yep. you know a little less if, if my girlfriend's helping me out but you know I've, I've never done an entire time study of an entire release Probably because I'm afraid to do it. But, <laughs> right, right. You know, I, I, I know what it takes to, as far as sorting sets, I know what method works for me. I've timed it. That's how crazy I am with numbers. Mm-hmm. But I've I've learned to sort sets a certain way. But other than that, I've never done an entire release for, or an entire time study for an entire release. Yeah. Yeah. When you say sort a certain way, what does that mean? What, what way works for you? So I've tried, someone last year mentioned on the forums around sorting by the ending number. And mm-hmm. I thought that was weird, but they said, Oh, do it that way. And I've always done it with intense. So, you know, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. Yep. And so I tried the other way and then it was like, that doesn't work. And then, and then I used to do it to where if I had a stack of a hundred, all the hundred cards or zero to 99, mm-hmm. I would do zero to 50 and then keep or zero to 49 and then do 50 to a hundred, keep it in a separate pile. But then I realized, yes, I'm I'm saving time at the end, but it's taking me more time to pull out the higher number, fifty to ninety. Mm-hmm. So I might as well just sort them zero to you know all in tens immediately because I'm not really saving any time that way. Yeah. Stuff like that, you know, you know, minute here, minute there, when you're doing thirty, forty, fifty, sixty sets, yep. you know, actually add up over time. So it's just like these these code cards, that five bucks every every you know every few often or every. Every code card you sell adds up at the end of the day. Heck so. yeah, absolutely. That's that's good insight. Are you a sorting tray guy? Do you have a tray? Or do you? Just... No, I don't. I don't get them. I don't understand them. To me, they're ridiculous. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't like them. So you don't like them? Have you tried them, or do you just don't like the concept of them? I, the eye concept. I don't get. It doesn't make sense. Gotcha. I was the exact same way until okay. I bought one for fourteen bucks on Amazon and I got it here. And it revolutionized okay. the way we sort. Okay. I, but, I'm not about, I've never tried it. So I'm just being, I'm speaking with like, no, I get no it. 100% agree. This, but it but just looks weird. It does. It looks really weird. And it looks weird to have around your house. But when you, when you're sorting and you can just set a card down and it falls nicely into place and you can fly through it. 
Um, yeah. It saves that time of kind of restructuring stacks and all that stuff. But uh, but yeah, anyway, side total sidetrack there. Um, yeah, you know, it's interesting because I've I've shared on I've shared on Twitter my blue table of update cards and dwindled <laughs> down to like four or five sets. So you know I've 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 looked at it from the perspective of. I don't understand why they're sitting that way. And then also I have way more cards than what'll fit in this box. So I don't know if I'm really saving any time, but you know, I'm ignorant as possible on these sorting tricks, but I don't. <laughs> so. Yeah, I get it. I, I mean, no, in no way am I saying, have I uncovered any secrets that people don't know about? Like a guy like Brent and Becca, right. Who's going to, who's yeah. going to be able to sort, you know, a, a billion sets in like three minutes like that. That's not where I'm at for sure. But. But uh, yeah, uh, so la last number, last I guess number three on your top products of the year was Top Set Date, my personal favorite product of the year. Uh, your ROI right now was twenty two percent. I love seeing that you have twenty eight thousand two hundred sixty seven cards sold. That's just hilarious to me. <laughs> With another twenty six thousand to sell. Yeah, I'm, I'm halfway through. I'm down twenty two percent right now, but I'm still projecting you know to be over by twenty percent based on everything I saw remaining. So yeah, it's nice. We already talked about the silver packs and the strategy there. I think it's you, you can you can read into the details. It's very similar to series two, uh, but um, I think one one takeaway when you look at back to series two is if you look at I've sold nearly every single card. I've sold twelve thousand six hundred forty cards. I only have two hundred and sixty left. Mm -hmm. That's the thing. You if you're really going to make money at this, you've got to find a way to sell every single card. Mm -hmm. Whether that, for yeah. a dollar. 15 cents or whatever it is just get rid of them don't save them yeah that's a great point um all right so when you're getting that type of liquidity on on a product like that i mean are you finding that the best way to do it is to have fixed price auctions or are you are you sending some to com c what, what's typically your approach to get rid of everything so i i don't use com c i don't do auctions and i don't do auctions for one reason because I'm on the West Coast, mm -hmm. I find the timing to be weird when I have to end auctions. And, you know, to me at nine o'clock here is normal, but that's midnight back East. And I also don't want to pay 10 cents to have an auction start at eight o'clock a certain day. I think it's a waste of money. Mm -hmm. So to me, it's always, it's, it's fixed. It's a, uh, you know, best offer, you know, fixed pricing listings. I am a big proponent of variation listings on eBay. So you, I have a lot of my store of, you know, buy one, get seven free, buy one, get 10 free, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. It does work to build those listings. It's absolutely atrocious that eBay just doesn't let you copy an Excel file and make and build a table for you. Agreed. But, you know, it's copy, paste, copy, paste, copy, paste. Yeah. But you can sell a lot more. And when you figure out how to, how to use eBay promotions and free shipping deals and Stuff like that. It, it it it's a good way to move through cards, especially base cards. Like right. I'll do on certain sets right now. You know, if you buy ten cards, you'll get free shipping. So it's like you know, buy one or you know, buy one get two free, then spend ten dollars, you get free shipping. Or then I do free shipping at anything over twenty five dollars of cards under twenty three dollars. So it really helps churn those low dollar blue parallels or you know black parallels that are two ninety nine because people buy them to get free shipping. And so it helps yeah. out that way. No, that's great. That's, that's super quality insight, man. Like that's a, that's an experience eBay seller right there. So good stuff. Very good stuff. Um, all right, cool. So let's quickly transition to the opportunity products. And so what, what were you thinking when you put together this list? What, what exactly was your mindset when you said opportunity products? So 
products that people can essentially not get tricked into, but can easily try to justify a, a, a high price or a product that just doesn't sell or is not made for the baseball community in a sense. Like okay. Inception is not a is not a baseball product. Mm -hmm. It's a football product. Agreed. Yeah. Okay. So are, are you positioning this as a there's potential opportunity here if you approach it the right way or you don't think yes. there's a ton of, okay, I got you. Oh, yeah. So it's about the price point and where you buy in at. I think I was trying to position each product here. If Inception was $500 a case, I'm all over that because there's money at 500 mm -hmm. But Inception at $700 with one rookie auto or one auto per per box, seven base cards, two parallels. There's just no money there. I'm paying seven nineteen a card yeah. and five of them are four of them are base cards. I mean, I'm just losing money to yeah. open a product. There's no fun there. But now at five hundred, you know, there's potential money there because I'm saving nearly fifty percent. Mm -hmm. And it's also a product that I called out that, you know, the rookie patch auto works in basketball and football to me i'm not i'm not openers of that product i i see what, what briggers are opening and i see what big cards sell for to me that's a basketball or football card that doesn't really translate well to the baseball community who wants the you know black parallel rookie card or the heritage action variation nobody's in baseball is looking for the rookie patch auto of mike trout it doesn't even exist i don't think but it's this it's just how the baseball works yeah. versus yeah, there's no that's good that's very good yeah so you in your article you give kind of target pricing which i think is awesome um and i mean most of these are below kind of asking price now so you, to, to be wise you'll have to i mean you'll have to approach this from a hey if it drops back or if i can get some after the release these are the prices that you think make sense so yeah, I mean, like, like Ginter. Ginter's been around, what, 10 plus years now? Mm -hmm. It's a great product. I love Ginter. It's going to be tough for me to pass up, but at $1,000 now, it just doesn't warrant that price tag anymore. Mm -hmm. But there's some really cool cards. Rip cards to this day are still amazing. <laughs> you know, the, I love the mini auto. Mm -hmm. I, I love the product, but the collectors haven't, collectors have not moved on from Ginter. But it's the same product every single year that has had very little, you know, changes to it. Yep. That I would love to them to maybe maybe get rid of the the jersey cards. Those are completely junk in Genter, and maybe add another parallel. You know, I know people talk about Chrome cards in Genter. I'm not a fan of Chrome in Genter, but you know, something different to make it fresh could make this product work. And so, if you can get it at eight fifty or nine hundred bucks, I think it's a good buy. But mm. If you're dropping a thousand or twelve hundred, you know, a hundred bucks to box for Genter, I, I just think you're going to be disappointed, based on you know, based on where the product is at, based on where it was ten years ago. Yeah, totally agree. We we could really dig into that, but yeah, there enough yeah. enough said there. That that's, I agree. I mean, when you got Heritage at a thousand, Genter at a thousand, Gypsy Queen at like basically nine fifty. I mean, it's just, it's tough. It's really tough. It doesn't matter how good the rookie classes are, like you said earlier. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't work. It just yeah. doesn't, you're going to lose money. And so, and, and the idea is to have collectors keep opening product and come back, but you, you buy enough product at that price point and get killed. 
you're moving on to something else. Right. And it's just not a good proposition for anybody. Yeah. So for Inception, right, your target case price at 500 bucks, dangerous territory at, at 700 bucks. I mean, you're looking at right now what Inception pre-orders at 820. So mm-hmm. yeah, there's, yeah, there's just no yep. way. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure you can email Chris and I could probably get it for 775 right now. They're, they're, they're still going to make money. It's still going to start with a seven, but it's just, it's not there. It's, yeah. I mean, you're only, I mean, I sold 78 of my cards. I've got 34 left and some of them are base cards mm-hmm. and no, it's just not, it's just not there. No, it's good. Now, if they made it, if they made it two autos a box or, you know, two autos and a patch, something random, a change of a configuration, it could work, but it 800 bucks for one car or one auto seven cards two are parallels i mean you might as well keep your money totally buy it on ebay buy your cards on ebay i mean yep. secondarily versus opening the product up 100 percent agreed yeah i mean I, I feel like gypsy queen's kind of on the fringe of being maybe a, a breaker friendly product inception's obviously a breaker friendly product mm-hmm. but you know the products like ginter where it's not really breaker friendly it, it should make more sense for rippers to make money um the problem with Gypsy Queen is that the parallels don't sell for anything. Right. Like stuff really hard to hit. Nobody buys it. I think my best card sale last year was the Mike Trout Team Error card. So he was in the Dodgers, you know, the Angels uniform, but the Dodgers team card. Those were, I think, one a case or something like that. I sold her for like $55. <laughs> it's like the team collectors, the player collectors, just they're not buying. They're not paying heritage prices for this product. Yeah. They're not paying. You know, and also keep in mind too, in Gypsy, it's only a ten box case, mm-hmm. so it might look cheaper, but you're only you're getting two less boxes in a product that isn't really selling that well. So it's really hard to sell the uh, the parallels and even the hard to hit stuff. Yep. Just don't sell. So I mean, you know, it, it's a product that it looks gorgeous. It always looks great. Mm-hmm. Not a big demand on the secondary market for a product that is you know, 900 bucks for 10 boxes. Mm-hmm. It, that is a fun, fun product. It's almost like, uh, I feel like Chronicles Baseball last year where it was so stinking fun to open. Like every time you opened a pack or a box, you just enjoyed it. But there was just yeah. literally no resale value. You just, you couldn't, you couldn't justify it at all. Yeah. I mean, cause like, cause in Gypsy Queen, they even do parallels of parallels. So it's like missing black plate, missing black plate, capitalist variation. So it's like a double, Double parallel. It's really cool. It looks awesome. Yeah. But like nobody wants it because it's such a weird product. But to, it's fun to open if I want to look at. But, you know, if you can get it for cheap, have at it. But I mean, don't buy this thing. You're, you're going to make money because it's just, it's a it's a loss. Yeah. Well, cool. Yeah. So you got uh, the, the, the three on that list. Po- folks are going to see it Ginter and Inception and Gypsy Queen. Those are the three opportunity products. You give good price, target case prices, and a couple strategies for each. Uh, overall, man, it's just, a super well done article. I, I'm looking forward for folks to see it. Thanks for the commentary on it. Uh, great, great job. So I also love the pictures you sent for each of the products. There's, some, oh. there's a couple of really cool hits in there. The, the trout is so sweet. That's right. It is. There, there is one thing for retail that we can cover if you want to quickly. Yeah, let's for hear this it. Year. So I think at the beginning of the year, retail was very popular and also a way to make money. But then Top, of course, realized, you know, how popular cards are now again, right? The products are blowing off the shelves, you know, at a high prices. So to meet demand, 
they ran the print run. I mean, they ran the presses on retail and retail in 2019 could be a bloodbath. So I think it's, it's buyer beware until you see the odds because in Genter, in, in, in update and in, in heritage, it's just, it's so, there's so much of it made that retail, the hidden value is now gone because tops is trying to meet the demand for the casual collector yep. and the people who can make money on retail are kind of, you know, there's no money in it anymore. The print runs they are, they have now. Yeah. Th- that's a really good point. I think, uh, I think we saw that, like you said, tail end of last year with tops, they really started to pick it up. We we've seen it really clearly with Panini this year in football and basketball. They've actually yeah. absolutely destroyed a couple products because of the way they've handled retail. Yeah, and, and it makes sense because they want to meet the demand for the casual collector, the Target shopper, the Walmart shopper. That's great. That's fantastic. But for us who saw the value in retail blaster cases, it's just been obliterated because the print runs are so bad. I mean, in Heritage, Heritage Standard, I hit two nickname autos in two blaster cases. They hit a red auto, you know, stuff that just was unannounced and, and easier to hit. Now in Heritage High, I hit two autos in six blaster cases. So... They just ran the presses on that. And so it makes sense, but at the same time, the value in retail is very dependent in 2019 based on what the print runs look like. So I think I think pre-ordering blaster cases is buyer beware until we see the odds on yep. release day. Yeah, yeah. Super, super good wisdom there. I, I completely agree with that. Um, I, I do wonder in hindsight if maybe Tops approached it with the idea of, well, we know we're going to have Acuna and Soto and Torres in heritage high so we can get by with overproducing it whereas they didn't necessarily have that in heritage you know flagship but yeah when you look back also they made the decision to basically every hobby case came with a red auto Mm -hmm. so that's 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 tops telling us we know where we know the demand's there but we're gonna we're gonna reward the hobby buyers who are buying at a higher price with at least one red auto that's i mean since when can you remember a product in Heritage, at least, that guaranteed a red auto per case? Those were really maybe one every two to three cases. So you can see Tops moving to reward the hobby collector who was spending the higher price point at the same time, getting the print run up on the retail side to have more for, on Target shelves at Walmart. I mean, there's a reason why Ginter is still on the shelves at Target. <laughs> right. blue junk. I wrote that in the article. I mean, there's nothing in that product to buy. Yeah, that is the truth. It is a shame too. It is a shame because I think uh, you start to see a kind of a whole new crop of folks entering into the market, and uh, it's going to be a rude awakening in 2019. I, I kind of I'm with you. I have a bad feeling about it. With that, with that being said, though, I do have uh, quite a few retail cases coming in, so we'll see how it works yeah. out. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping for good things, and you know, I I went retail on a couple of cases, a couple of products this year to avoid the hobby prices because at 320. You know, it's sort of immune to the retail or the 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 blowout or the you know other other companies you know uh, mm-hmm. price up in a yeah. sense. But you know, it's still retail, and if if you can only get one auto every like four or five cases in any product, you're you're gonna lose. Yeah. So. Um, you know, one of my last questions to you was gonna be what your concerns are heading into 2019, and it sounds like a pretty clear concern is just the way Tops handles retail. Um, well, retail, but also too, they're changing the configuration of flagship this year. So it's going from 36 packs down to 24. Now you're going to get four extra cards per pack, but you're losing 288 cards per hobby case. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's at least one set 
probably gone. That's 30, 40 bucks. What does that mean for the other hits also? So mm-hmm. the flagship changes this year are interesting. Yeah. I mean, is there any other changes folks should know about? That's obviously a big one. Not at the moment. Not that I can think of top of okay. my head. I think the big one is, is just flagship because everyone thinks of it as a 36 pack yep. product. And when people open and go, where are my other 12 packs? Yeah. You know, they would be like, oh, this changed. Because Tops doesn't, Tops, I don't think, has really made a big deal of it. It's on the sell sheet. But I can't remember Tops saying, oh, by the way, press release, it changed. Now, I could have missed something, but, you know, it's only on the sell sheet. So I think that's a big one. But, you know, we'll see how the rest of the year goes. And I think this year is going to be difficult just because we don't really have any big name rookies to lead the year other than so from last year. I mean, Kyle Tucker is one, but outside of him at the current time, who's really going to carry series one. Yeah. Yeah. That is the big question. I mean, everyone's anticipating Vlad Guerrero at the tail end of the year, but even then we don't really know. Um, But yeah, I mean, yeah, what's funny with Vlad is he wasn't in even heritage minor. Yeah. That was interesting. And so, yeah, we'll see how Vlad, I mean, Vlad's obviously going to, can carry the products, but when is he going to get called up? I mean, Tops, of course, you know, changed their rules to get, uh, to get Otani and Bowman yep. with a rookie card before he even played. So, you know, if we start, if we start messing with the rules to get the next guy up, you know, what does that do to the market, you know, mm-hmm. long-term? So it was cool with Otani because he's, you know, a global, not icon, but a global player with a great collector market. But is it going to make the sense for a guy in Toronto mm-hmm. where people in Canada are not buying the cards because shipping there is, you know, yeah. a little more expensive than it is, you know, shipping to the States? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And, and I do think with, with maybe a limited rookie class, well, for sure, a limited rookie class in comparison to last year. But I, I do wonder if it will help the sales of second year cards of Soto, Acuna, and, and you know, mm-hmm. Glaber. Whereas I, yeah. I thought it, because we had such a good rookie class, it really affected you know, Bellinger and, and even Aaron judge a little bit more so than usual. I mean, I'm very thankful that after judge mania last year and, and, and that we had a great rookie class this year, cause it could have been a really bad year. Yeah. So maybe here is the year where it levels out, but you know, who knew Juan Soto other than the ultra deep prospectors this time last year, yeah. you know, of course his Chrome autos were 300 bucks this time last year, whatever they were. So they, he was, he was known, but for the, the average day collector, Nobody knew who Soto was this time last year. So yeah. someone's going to come along, but can that person be for the right team? If they show up in Oakland or Seattle, <laughs> show up in New York, well, there you go. Have yep. a good day. Against the money. But, you know, it, it just depends where they show up at. Yep. Or that is the truth. Bay. If they're in Tampa Bay, forget it. Pack it up. Let's go to 2020. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I, I almost, I'm kind of scary just thinking about Toronto in general, having to handle Vlad Guerrero and just the fact that I might have to buy Toronto cards. But we'll, we'll take it. We'll take it if, that, if that's the worst case. I know, so we'll see. <laughs> nice, but uh, impressive stuff. Thanks for being transparent. I think a lot of people are going to enjoy that. And I always like to end things with a little something we call rapid fire. you probably heard it before on some of the podcasts. Um, I got some questions for you just to get a chance for people to know you a little bit differently. Um, so you cool with that? Five questions for you? Yep, let's go. All right, so what um, what is the guilty pleasure food for you and your girlfriend? What do you guys like to go to? Guilty pleasure food. Wow. 
I would say it's Chipotle. That's like our go-to meal. It's not really a it's like something. It's our, our one of our mainstay foods or places to eat at. Heck yeah! What's uh, what, what's your typical order at Chipotle? Oh, it's crazy. So it's double brown rice. It's steak, double green, and that's it. What? I don't eat veg. Yeah, that's it. Double green what? But you know, I love the green sauce, double green, like the oh, medium sauce. Oh, gotcha. Okay, sorry. Yeah, you, you have like a code word for it. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I lost 30 pounds this last year basically eating at Chipotle almost every day. So You're... it's kind of crazy. Uh, that became a, a staple of mine this year, going there and, you know. But yeah, double green or double brown rice steak and uh double medium sauce there you go awesome all right cool uh what's the last magazine you read oh wow magazine probably the magazine that came with my psa subscription that is now expired so whatever that magazine is called psa insider or something i have no idea that is hilarious you say that because I, I just got one of those in today and I thought, man, I've never actually read these. I should yeah. look at <laughs> It's so funny. It's like sports. I don't even know what it's called. Insider or something. Hobby Insider or something. Whatever. There's like two articles and the rest of it's ads and I'm like, yeah, I don't care about this. And so, uh, yeah, that's probably the last magazine I've read. <laughs> nice. All right. Um, okay. You're in a – sit. what's that? And reading it lightly there there's like two articles in the article in the magazine so oh yeah know. yeah it's um all right well if i ever get psa on here i'm going to talk to him about that yeah <laughs> <laughs> um okay you're you're in a sitcom family which family do you pick to join oh man i am so bad i don't watch tv much i'm so sports i'm really bad with that maybe i'm from texas so maybe king of the hill that's like my cartoon <laughs> i like the most Nice. All right. Uh, you can play for any team except the Mariners. What team do you play for? The Braves. Because I grew up in the 90s, and you know they were the team on TV all the time. So it, it has to be the Braves. Nice. All right. Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter? Which one do you go with? Neither. I've, I've never seen either one of them or read the books. Okay. All right. Um, if, you, if you didn't collect cards, what would you collect? Hmm. That's a heck of a question. I've always collected cards. I don't know. That's a, that's another good one. You have to keep going with five more questions. I don't know. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta get. Five I don't even think that guilty pleasure for you is even good. A good response. No, it's a great one. You kidding me? I think Chipotle's been yeah. mentioned five times. In fair fairness, but I yeah, I think it's that's our yeah. guilty as well. Um, are you guys, are you guys movie watchers? She is. I'm I'm a, I'm a mafia drug movie fan i'm not big into movies generally speaking but anything like mafia or drug related like like narcos like we love narcos like the on netflix but that's about it top mafia movie godfather for you yeah but that's sort of cliche though i mean i really like uh donnie brasco okay with you know below i absolutely I could watch Blow like five times a week and not not care one bit. That's impressive. Uh, I, I am with you on that. I'm a big mafia guy too. So, yeah. Uh, I, I just watched rewatched The Town the other day, and I forgot how good that movie is. That movie is incredible. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. But, uh, good stuff, man. 
thank you yep. again. Go go enjoy dinner with the girlfriend. Thank you for uh, tell her. Thank you for giving us some of your time and and uh, enjoy your new year. And I'm sure we'll chat early on in 2019. CRT underscore sports cards on Twitter. Um, any other place people can find you, or is that the kind of the main outlet for you? No, Twitter is my I, my avenue. I have Instagram, but I don't really like it. It's not really much way to communicate with anybody. Just photos. So Twitter to me is is the best way or the forums on blowout at CRT sports. But for the most part, Twitter is where I'm most, most active these days. Gotcha. Instagram is mostly just pictures of your Chipotle burritos and stuff. Is that what you're <laughs> <laughs> Only both. No burritos. Just <laughs> All right. Nice. Nice. Cool, man. Thanks again. We'll talk to you. Thanks. I take care. All right, What's going on, folks? Ty. So I think you know me by now. At least you probably know me well enough from the podcast to know that I doing things with excellence is a really important uh, component to me, whether it's through the content we put out on BreakerCulture.com or whether it's the podcast that you're listening to um, every week. We want to do things really well. Uh, unfortunately, uh, I'm a very busy guy, and Shani's busy, and uh, guests are busy. Figuring out all that stuff and putting the time into it and doing things the right way, uh, it just it costs money. And I'd rather not clutter the podcast with a bunch of advertisements. Um, and I try to remove as much of that stuff as I can on, on BreakerCulture.com as well. But uh, really the, the best way for us to do that without cluttering it with advertisements is for you guys to support us. And you know, you've probably listened to NPR uh, at least sometime in your life and you always hear those. Those marathons where they're, you know, it's a listener-supported broadcast. Um, this isn't necessarily, we're not at that point, but we would love to know that you, know, you guys are invested in this and, and uh, you want us to continue to see us doing this and putting out content uh, for you. Uh, so, yeah, you have the opportunity to support us. If you go to the podcast main page on our website, you'll see a support this podcast link. And, uh, yeah, you, I mean, you could support a dollar a month. You could you could do a one-time gift and that will go directly back into the uh, just the, the pot of money that we use to truly really manage things and um, make sure it's it's worth our time to continue pushing through this. So uh, if you if you think about it and you really do feel like this is valuable, we'd love that. We'd really appreciate you joining alongside us in this. And um, yeah, even just considering it would means a lot to us. So thank you so much. Enjoy your New Year's week. We'll talk soon.